You're watching Deprogrammed. This is the new Culture Forum's latest show, committed to fighting back against the forces of ideological conformity, particularly among the young. My name's Harrison Pitt, I'm a senior editor at the European Conservative, and I'm thrilled to be joined today, as ever, by Evan Riggs, who is a freelance journalist and a man who needs no introduction to the NCF faithful, the director of the New Culture Forum himself, Peter Whittle. Peter, thank, thank you. you so much for joining us. Thank you, Harrison. Peter? Yeah, lovely. <laughs> um, Unusual for us to be in this situation, indeed, but, you know, <laughs> but we'll, see, we'll see how it goes, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so we, we at the New Culture Forum have produced a new, a new book. Uh, right here. State of Emergency. That's the one there, which is the camera, this one? There yeah. you are. Uh, well, the yeah. one in the middle, there one you go. Of, one of the three. State oh. of emergency, a voice for the silenced majority. And these guys have both contributed to it. Indeed, so I was going to grill you about ah, okay. your chapter. Try to remember what I wrote. The thing is about this, this is the third one. Yes. Um, in, well, we started off with the Long March. Yes. And Mark said, well, and then we did um, a collection last year called Fighting Back which did very well, actually. And this one is much more of a kind of, uh, well, it's almost like what, a, what we would call a manifesto, if you like. Yes. I mean, it's, it's sort of got 10 points, 10 pledges, which we want to put to people standing in a general election next year, whenever that might be. Hmm. Um, could be May, could be September. Um, and particularly, obviously, to put it to people who call the themselves conservative, yes. just to find out where they actually uh, stand on these things. Um, but also the point of a book like this as well is to try to influence what other smaller parties might do, mm. you see. Um, and uh, it's supported throughout by great essays and people like your good selves. And there are some, other, there are some others in there as well. But yeah. what, what, so you, you've had a front, just to, just to give people some context for this, but yeah. you've had a front row seat. We're all about context these days, aren't we? It's, it's essential <laughs> to, 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 to understanding. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you've had a front row seat to, to quite a bit of uh, crises in British politics in recent yeah. years. Obviously, you were quite very involved in the 2016 referendum, oh, yeah. the, the ensuing constitutional fallout that came from that. Like, what, what do you regard as especially urgent about our present cultural moment, which makes a title like State of Emergency, a very stark title, so appropriate? Well, I think that, uh, Harrison, I think there was a feeling, I had it quite palpably, um, of things giving way. Uh, I had that feeling yes. um, a, a while ago that somehow, I remember I was looking through the Sunday Times last weekend, and um, they have every year, for done it for years, they have this thing called uh, Pictures of the Year. And they go through politics and they go through uh, royalty, they go through foreign affairs and everything. And it's sort of the beginning of it was that um, we're going to be looking at the people who have uh, shocked us, thrilled us, uh, disappointed us. And I was sort of looking at this and thinking, wait a minute, but there is no us, mm. actually. Hmm. And I was trying to work out when the last time there was an us, which I think for me, would have been around about the early 90s, maybe. But I mean, particularly, I'd say, this century, the past two decades, accelerating the past five years, there's been a dissolving, for me, of a sense, uh, a quite palpable one, of, of a greater public, of, an, of a nation. And yet the people are still out there. They're still there. But... Uh, you know, when one sees it referred to in the way that I've just uh, mentioned, it sort of strikes you, good Lord, the fragmentation is, you know, 
no longer just a sort of a fear or um, a hypothesis. It's happened, yes. you know, and that really worries me. When it comes to issues, no question about it, immigration. You know, I mean, I've, I've said this is the most important thing for God knows how long now. And, um, you know, I don't like tipping points particularly, but I do think that something has changed in the air. Hmm. Uh, and there is a kind of realisation, you know, now that this is the main issue when it comes to even surviving as a recognisable country. Yes, and in, in, this is just... So immigration would be one of the key things that you would blame for that for that dilution oh, of yeah. that of that first person plural because instead of there being an, a, a palpable sense of us like democracy requiring a, a cohesive demos you have loads of different peoples who, who battle it out and with, with identity politics and all these sorts of things absolutely but there's so much bad faith about the whole thing I mean you know I think that a lot of people are given a lot of uh, benefit of the doubt you know there's oh well you know identity politics just being kind all of this stuff no, I feel that behind a lot of it is there is um, malicious intent. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and, and I really do not think that the majority of people, for example, who uh, talk about migration in, as being beneficial, who, who always seem to be putting the argument, you know, that it's uh, unalloyed good, <clears throat> they're never asked to account for their particular view in a way that, well, people like you know, me or you, even, yes. you know, whatever it might be, we're always under the microscope. What's your real motive? You know, what, what is, what's behind? Those people aren't, and yet uh, they're the ones in charge. Um, and I think that um, the, the basis of it is a real dislike of the nation. And this one in particular, actually. I mean, you know, we did a book at the New Culture Forum the very beginning, long before this channel was going, called A Sorry State. And it was all about the role played by self-loathing <clears throat> in culture. A lot of people said, oh, you know, the British, you know, Tories are like this. They, they sort of tend to sort of be very romantic. Oh, we've always sort of hid, hid our light under a bush or we yes. don't do flags. And I think Cameron even said we don't do flags. Yes. Um, and, um, you know, they still cling to that. Mm. And, um, you know, I don't think it's about that. I think it's about actual dislike of the country and therefore Anything which is going to dilute the identity of the country, they will be in favour of. Yes. Anything which in some ways proves it to be fraudulent, they will be in favour of. And so, yes, I think that uh, without question, it's the most important uh, issue. And I mean, I don't want to preempt what we might talk about, but essentially any party that... Uh, well, you know, wants to do well at the moment, and they really could, should just talk about this and nothing else. So on, on this topic of parties and this sort of internal self-loathing, it seems to me, and correct me if you think I've gotten this wrong, but it seems to me that the Tory party is kind of conservative in the worst way possible, in that mm -hmm. they don't try to advocate towards progressing towards anything. Like, the only kind of, like, new idea that Rishi Sunak has come out with is, like, banning smoking, which yeah, you kind of actually yeah. stole from New Zealand. Yeah. Um, and really, it's more about how we're not labor, you know, we're not part of the EU. Yeah. And it's a bunch of things that they're not. But they're, it's very hard to get them, pin them down on what they're actually for. <laughs> well, they're not for anything, mm. I think. I mean, I think that, I don't know. I mean, you, you know, you meet lots of tourists, don't you? Thankfully I mean, not, actually. Some of your best <laughs> friends are tourists? <laughs> no, no, no. no, no. I, I, I still <laughs> okay. well clear of them as far as I can. I, I spend a lot of time with dissident writers who, mm. who right. load the Tory party, but that's quite a different thing. 
Well, I mean, I, I, I would agree with that. I think that for, from my point of view, the ones, that, um, the ones that seem to have been in the ascendancy, the Tories or Conservatives, in the ascendancy over the past few decades are what I would call the, um, you know, the free market fundamentalists. Mm-hmm. Where we are here in, in Westminster, we're surrounded by these people. Mm-hmm. They're all over the place. Mm. Um, they, they seem to be um, entirely about the bottom line, entirely about the marketplace. This is, won't come as any surprise to you. It's very basic stuff, I know. Um, don't care about things like patriotism. Certainly don't care about migration. And um, they're quite influential. Yes. And um, they're very... They keep like Savasa to sight distance, you know, while asking us, how do you manage to get such a great channel going? But apart from that, they, they mm-hmm. tend to sort of keep, you know, keep it as, as they, a they seem to think that there's something faintly vulgar about talking about the sort of issues that we're concerned about. That's right, exactly. What I find, you know, intolerable about them is that it's all about the process. If mm. you could tell me what they actually are for, mm. you know, it's all about the process. The market is a process, isn't it? It's not an end in itself, no. is it? No. But this is kind of gets to the heart of my question in that I think Britain is kind of ripe for a conservative party that is unapologetically pro something, whatever, yeah, yeah. whatever that something might be. Like at least Labour, you could say that they're pro just sort of blanket leftism. Mm. But it doesn't seem to me that like reclaim or reform or even like the SDP, I, I find it very difficult to pin down exactly what their like one sentence slogan would be. Mm. Like, this is what we are absolutely for. Mm. What do you think would be like a, a winning elevator pitch for a party who really wanted to come up and seize in that moment in the same way that maybe like Donald Trump did with Make America Great Again? What's the British equivalent? Yes, um, I think it's a, a very good point and in some ways you put your, your finger on it because reform, um, which is you know pretty much head and shoulders above the other parties at the moment, isn't it? And they're, they're just pretty good, but it's kind of technocratic feeling hmm. when you look at the manifesto. Um, it's very technocratic. A reclaim, if it's still a thing, really, with with Lawrence is um, you know very much a, a reaction. You know, it's a very good one. I mean, it's, it's you know it's an excellent idea. You know, to be pro free speech and everything. When it comes to a party, and this is the most important thing, people have got to have something to vote for. What would the slogan be? I mean, you know, I think it would, it would be something just like for Britain. I mean, when we're talking about actual slogans, what it would be that they believed in would be, um, I think you'd have to square it with people and say, look, we're not going to start saying our best years are mm-hmm. in front of us or any of this stuff like Liz Trust said. Uh, we've got to say, you know, basically things are bad and we are not going to go down. And uh, that's what we're going to do. We're going to basically save this country and its culture and its people. I kind of disagree with that, actually. I think really? you have to be mad enough to say our best years are ahead of us if you want to get a lot of votes. Yeah, no, I'm not saying they can't be. But the thing is, is that when politicians just say that now, it's their quick way of saying uh, that they're being positive. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? They sort of like, a, don't be negative. Oh, you're so negative. Mm. We're always called negative, aren't we? I mm. mean, I would say we're the least negative people, mm. actually. And also, but this is the key thing. It goes back to your point about the, the, like Roger Scruton's first person of plural, that sense of us. In order to say our best days are ahead of us, there needs to be an hour. Like, who are we? Mm. And g- given that that is so evidently under threat across a whole... Uh, range of domains, in, in many ways what we're fighting for is the precondition 
in making sure that the preconditions are in place for that statement being possibly true. But when you, when I, I don't know what the latest figures are, we don't have to talk about immigration relentlessly. But I, but it, it, it is first on our list for for a reason. It is the most it's first on the on the list of these places. Yeah, absolutely, and it's it, and it's it's incredibly saliently mm. when you have a. Um, a state that relentlessly imports new yeah. voters, not only without the consent of the existing host population, but in clear defiance of their wishes as expressed consistently at the ballot box, has ceased to be a democracy in, in, in any meaningful sense. So in order for us to have all these conversations about what Britain can be, what Britain should be, we need to know what Britain is first. Mm. And, and unless you have that, at a time when that's so obviously under threat, it's just going to be impossible to speak in normative terms about what politics should aim at. I think, yes, I, I think the, the problem at the moment, um, and I don't want to be too sort of uh, catastrophist about this, but is that we, I mentioned tipping points before, mm. uh, is getting to the point now where, you know, in terms of numbers of people, new people, um, they would start to have actually really quite material impact on that sense of, of we. I mean, I remember when I was on the London Assembly, mm. um, this was in 2016 when we started out. We got onto the Assembly as UKIP, me and my colleague there. Amazing when I think about it, actually. 200,000 votes we got. Um, you couldn't do that now because even in five years, the change demographically in London is such that the what they what we call the donut, which is outside of London, no mm. longer really exists, mm. but it still did. Mm. So we were sort of basically we weren't fighting for like uh, the silent majority. We were actually just sticking up for what had become a peripheral minority. Mm -hmm. Now I I'm not saying that that would be the case in Britain for a long time, but I mean things are going that way. You know, Absolutely. I mean they really are. So essentially, you've almost got to say you know. What, you know, was like Thatcher did in 1979, you know, um, you know, this is, could be a great country, um, but at the moment, you know, it made her feel sick to her stomach to see it in such a state. Yes. And the fact is, you've got to be frank about that. So, we often blame the Conservative Party here for this, th their many failures, which is well deserved. But I think one of the things that we don't talk about a lot is the failures of the conservative media ecosystem mm -hmm. here in Britain. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder, what do you make of, like, let's call it the last like two or four years? I think today is actually the four-year anniversary of the Tories coming in with Boris, like a supermajority. Oh, God, yes, no. 19th, the 19th. Yeah. Like the 19th. Um, what do you think the conservative media ecosystem has gotten so wrong in these last few years that have allowed these problems to metastasize and not be taken seriously? Do you mean, who do you mean by that? Do you mean like the mainstream media? Do you mean broadcasters? I mean mainstream media, but even folks like GB News or even the NCF. Um, what uh, do you think are some of the mistakes that we've made? Wow, boy. Uh, mistakes we've made? None. <laughs> uh, no. I mean, I think, um, I think with, uh, with GB News, I think it's on the whole, it's been a, a good thing. Uh, you know, I think with, with GB News, for, for for quite a while, they did go in for the you couldn't make it up type of anti-woke stuff, you know. They, they, you know, that sort of, you know, and here's another thing, and here's another, you know, that, that was sort of a, that, that kind of after a while, you only go so far with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, with the other, I think, from what I can see, uh, well, we've got a great threat on the horizon, of course, with the Telegraph, and whoever ends up uh, owning that. Um, but 
like the male, which always take the male. I'd say it's the linchpin, isn't it? Really, in the in the print media of that conservative system you talk about, they uh, they have become much more mealy mouthed. Mm. Um, they also use uh, he um, when you're talking blatantly about a bloke in a wig, you know, <laughs> a she. Uh, she's right, yeah, it's she, it's she. Uh, whereas once upon a time, you know, with the male, they would, you know, they were a byword for, you know, irreverence. Uh, yes, exactly. Mm, yes. And uh, also being solid to their constituency. Um, so I think that they've all moved, they've all shifted slightly. People say oh, we're living in times of, you know, far right and all this ru uh, yeah. total rubbish. But essentially, I think they've all shifted a little bit to the left. And I think there's also been a failure on the part of particularly organs like the Telegraph and the Mail on Sunday to, to uh, see politics and see the, the, the most interesting ideas on the right of politics as being inseparable from whatever's going on in the Conservative Party. Yeah. Like, like they're not very interested in ideas beyond that oh, realm, no, which is why no. people like Boris Johnson get painted as a kind of darling of the right mm. when he locked down the country. He subjected us to, a, to, to an experimental lockdown yeah. that he clearly, based on private messaging, wasn't super keen on and fl flung the borders wide open. Um, there are all sorts of ways in which Boris Johnson is clearly not a, a very conservative spe political specimen, and yet he's presented all the time by the Mail on Sunday, by the Daily Mail, and by the Telegraph as a sort of... Even at the moment, there's, there's talk about a potential right-wing sal salvation of the Tory party, like Farage and Johnson joining forces, all that sort of thing. I can't really see that happening. I mean, you know, how could they get on when, you know, Boris is a total liberal on migration, mm -hmm. who came up with the idea of an amnesty for migrants, yes. and Nigel is not. I, I, I can't quite work out how that, would, mm. how that would even work. But I think to go back to your point, really, um, about, you know, what, what has gone wrong with the ecosystem, the ecosystem, I think it's that. I think that they've all kind of, um, they have shifted and also, they're they're less inclined to stand up for people. Hmm. Um, the last remaining one, I suppose, would be the Express. But I mean, essentially, it's it's very s small beer now. The hmm. Express. Hmm. You know, but there was a sense that the Mail and uh, the Telegraph, in a, in a different uh, economic uh, uh, demographic, would in some ways sort of stand up for people. But you get that feeling that they don't anymore. What, what, what about the fact that, and this might um, have a, it's, it's difficult to, it, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing, it's difficult to be, it's easy to, easy to be wise after the fact, but what about all of the attention that we, on the right, generally spent in this country, and I mean the genuine right, spent in this country, on achie achieving Brexit? Did they, what was, was, there, was there perhaps a, 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 a delusional expectation that Brexit would be a kind of panacea, would be would be it would be an end in itself, because all that has really happened as a result of Brexit, many might argue, is that we have um, become uh, we we now as as a population we now rather than being ruled by Brussels, we exist at the mercy of the worst habits of the of, of the Conservative yeah. Party and the, and the blob that's based in Westminster. We sort of we've swapped out grey suited bureaucrats in Brussels. Or you know similar specimens mm. in Westminster, and the Conservative Party has has at be, at, at best enabled them, and at worst for oh, sorry has yeah, at best no, allowed no, no. them to do their business, and at worst enabled them. I, I mean, I think in a way uh, Brexit uh, has exposed all this mm. actually. In a way, it's the same as Trump. Yes, yeah, people think, thought Trump would get in, everything would be solved, and he didn't get anything done. No, no, but it's exposed quite what the situation is. I mean, 
we we know who we're dealing with now much more than we did. Mm -hmm. We might always have thought we knew what, who we were dealing with, but I think the majority of people now who, let's face it, most people take a very, you know, they take a side glance sort of attitude to politics on the whole, but I think they can see it's much clearer now where it all emanates from our institutions or, you know, when civil servants are obviously thwarting. Mm -hmm. People look and think, well, how come they can't do anything about migration? How come they can't do it? What is going on? And, you know, that's become, I think, a bit clearer now, but that's due to Brexit, but, you know, not in a good way, if you no. know what I mean. I mean, it's just like it should have been a byproduct. But the one good thing about it, is, which is what you're saying, is that those lines of accountability are now there, whereas before the Conservative Party, whenever anything bad happened on immigration or anything else, there, would yeah. be, there was a tendency to say, well, look, it's Brussels, there's nothing we can do about it. There wasn't that line of accountability. Those lines of accountability now do exist because we have repatriated what was previously foreign, uh, and so that, that's that, in many ways that is a good thing. But but the, I suppose one of the what, what what again to bring up immigration. One of the things you might talk about is that before uh, the, before Brexit, much more of our immigration was intra-European immigration, which is much more culturally proximate to this country, much less likely to lead to flare-ups in tribal identity politics. Because I think most Europeans would come to Britain and they're, they're not likely to angle for sort of reparations or for uh, or for. To, to put their weight behind certain tribalistic causes as people from non-European countries are likely to do tend to be much more ethnocentric and they kind of they, they leverage their own ancestral identity against the host population a lot more often than you would say get Poles doing that or Germans doing that or French people doing that and in, even though Brexit was in many ways a, a demand for immigration to be reduced as a whole of course it was that's why Farage was popular that's why it got done because the, the, the issue of Brexit got taken over because of our system by a bunch of sort of piratical free traders and globalists in the Conservative Party, many people like Boris Johnson interpreted Brexit as a call for more globalisation, just like the European Union is too regional. Daniel Hannah would say think, things like that. I don't think that they're, um, they're sincere in that, actually. Who's the, who, who uh, isn't well, people like uh, Boris Johnson, I've even heard people like Daniel Han, yeah. you know, suddenly, Britain. yes, or suddenly sort of um, announcing, oh, but you know, it was just uh, that we uh, wanted control of the actual, yes. you know, technicalities of immigration, not that we wanted to bring immigration down. There's no question about it. I mean, it's been a complete betrayal mm -hmm. on that front. So, no question about it. Utter betrayal. But what I'm saying is that uh, it goes right to the heart of Evan's question. Should we have realised uh, that? the issue of Brexit would end up getting taken over, in Westminster at least, by precisely those kinds of people and people much less like Farage and yourself. Um, no, I mean, I don't say, what, what do you mean, we shouldn't, we should have been cynical about it? I mean, I, I have to say, I mean, I, I think that the, the Brexit campaign was the shortest, uh, the nearest thing I can think of to a kind of revolt that mm. happened. Um, and it was fantastic to be involved in it, actually. But... Without question, the 2019 election, I think, was far more significant because people mm. actually saw what had happened over those three years mm -hmm. and they had seen what basically, and I have to say, it really changed my attitude to my own country and mm. its institutions. 2019 did? Well, before that. Oh. From 2016 oh, see, sorry, to yes, 19, yeah. to actually see them systematically trying to thwart the actual, you know, no question about it, popular vote, mm -hmm. uh, unequivocal. Um, that really, I thought, well, this isn't the country that I thought it was. Mm. You know? Well, obviously, that's gone a bit now. Mm. Uh, I don't feel that so much now. But, I mean, it, it, that 2019 election was so important because 
frankly, it was people saying yes and yes with knobs on. You know? <laughs> so one of the things that I've really wanted to ask you for a while now is that, let's say you could like wave a magic wand and the immigration issue, which we always kind of highlight as, as the key issue, was solved. Define solved however you want. I mean, you got to, down to net zero or something acceptable, and there was like a healthy level of assimilation. You were totally happy with how immigration and assimilation mm-hmm. are being handled in this country. What do you think the next biggest problem would be for conservative-minded people? Uh, education, I think. Hmm. I mean, I, I think that uh, on the face of it, you could say the next big issue would be the whole woke thing that's been going on and the kind of infiltration hmm. of institutions. But in terms of how that we get to that point, it's all about education. I mean, in this book, uh, Rafe and, um, has written about history teaching, but also about gender and race, critical race theory and in our schools, um, and what should happen there. I mean, I, I would say that that's without question. What we almost need, uh, I don't know what form it would take, but it would have to be a little bit like the miners' strike in the 1980s, um, but a cultural one. You'd have to somehow route the teaching unions mm. oh, I see, and yeah. change the whole thing, mm. you know. And Michael Gove had a kind of go at it, mm. but it was in the end rather half-hearted. Well, the other thing with Michael Gove, even though that, well, I, I, I'm despite not being a massive fan of his, I'm quite sympathetic to his general take on education in the early 2010s. But I think it would be fair to say that he was much more focused on trying to restore academic rigor mm-hmm. than he was focused on trying to change the curriculum or trying mm-hmm. to remarshal mm-hmm. the curriculum so that it would be more patriotic and all that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And so like, it's not so much the, the, way that thing, the way that things are being taught or how rigorous classes are, or that, yes. all, that all matters too, it's what is being taught or mm-hmm. rather um, what is being, and what is being left out. You know? mm-hmm. I see, yes. Well, I mean, you know, whatever it is, I think education is without question the biggest thing. So I think that if you, if you look at Trump and you look at Brexit, you can both see them as kind of like a, a, a tremor. And that was a revelatory mm. one because it kind of let people know where the, the real enemies lie and they, they lie in these bureaucracies. And since then in America, you've had figures like DeSantis and a few other governors. You've had people like, like Rufo. You've had Trump and other presidential candidates um, make serious inroads in tackling these problems head on, like a very practical way. So they're not mm. focused on like, okay, like what is the origin of, of wokeness? Did it, you know, did yeah, it start yeah. with, you know, the Renaissance or did it start with Michel Foucault or mm. all this stuff? They're like, whatever, we're mm. past that. We're trying to figure out some actual solutions. Mm. And this is something I, I harp on, on and off camera all the time, because when I look at Britain, kind of, I guess, from the, the outside in, in a sense, I see all the talent necessary, all, all the people. I see really all the funding, even though it's not getting you know, opened up enough, yeah. um, which is, you know, a bit rich for me to say because I'm broke. But um, why do you think that Britain has lagged behind America in this regard? Why, why are we seeing such, like, practical, actionable solutions in the States and so few of it here, or at least so few successful attempts? Well, I, I remember in your essay, you talk about uh, the American draft plans to get rid of, for example, you know, diversity, inclusion, equity, Mm -hmm. you know, in in various institutions. And I think you say in this, uh, he said, turning the tables, Hmm. I think you say in this that uh, we should actually just uh, emulate what they're doing in America. Yeah. Um, Why do we do, why is it America is ahead? Well, I would say two things. First of all, they are, I think, experiencing it 
far more harshly than we are, all the problems, which is something I never thought would be the case. Mm. Um, and then secondly, I think it comes down to the sheer organisation of the right yes. and the money that is mm. therefore there for them. I mean, when you look at what yeah. we as think tanks here <laughs> exist on, it's, it's, and it's you peanuts. look at what yeah. well, the Heritage yeah. Foundation yeah. In, in Washington is is more or less, isn't it, a university really? Effectively, yeah. it sort of gives out things. Yes. It? I mean, you know, the idea I mean, there's nothing uh, like that here, and I they mean, never will, they never really will be. I mean, why not? not? Why? Because of, which is because of the scale of America, everything's bigger in America, isn't it? Yeah, there's plenty, just, there's plenty of rich to, conservative people. No, I know. I'm not saying no, we can't plenty, emulate it, but we would be emulating on a British scale. No, no, there's, than a, there's, there's scale. plenty of British people. I think the difference is that uh, where the, one of the big differences uh, is that here we have a huge number of very, very rich people, which mm. we're all very proud of, but they have no allegiance to this country. Mm. Whereas I think there are still people, uh, rich people in America who certainly do. Sure. You know, I mean, I, I'm trying to think of. Apart from people who fund the Tory party, yeah. right? I'm trying to think of these big figures. Um, if you think about them, London's full of billionaires now in a way that it hasn't ever been before, I think. But, I mean, for example, take something like philanthropy with the arts. It's going through a really bad time. Maybe these people have no sense at all of connection. Mm. They come and they go. Speaking of Michelangelo, you know? <laughs> So I think that that might be the reason why in America, it, that is to be envied, um, but, um, and I think we should emulate that as much as we Certainly, can. Certainly, I'm not saying that we shouldn't emulate it, that to be clear, I'm just saying it's, not, it's never going to be, exist on quite the same scale just because America is, is a bigger country than this one is. It, it, would, be like, it, would, be, it would be like expecting like, whatever San Marino can pony up being equivalent to whatever Italy can pony up. It's just not going to be quite equivalent. Um, but the, the other reason I think that's really important to point out is that we just don't have a political vehicle in this country for all of the sorts of recommendations that you make. We have a Conservative Party which, rather than tearing away at the DEI bureaucracy, have, has expanded it since 2017. Yeah, I don't know. So, I mean, do you really need a political vehicle for a lot of this stuff? Like, if you look at like the Manhattan Institute in America, like it, it, it's only sort of tangentially affiliated with the Republicans, but they still manage to get a lot done. Everybody here seems to think in political parties, but I think you could do a lot on the edge of the system rather than inside of it. Well, yes, um, but how much influence does the Manhattan Institute actually have? Quite a lot. A lot of the stuff that I, I, mean, I wrote about that journal, chapter. But, yeah, yeah. But, but, a lot but, of that model legislation was drafted by the Manhattan right. Institute. No, no, yeah, but, right. it's, but, but, that, but even if we had a Man Manhattan Institute which was modeling that legislation, there wouldn't be a political vehicle to get, make it legislation. It would just be, it would, be, it would, it would exist in the, in, in the form that our pledges exist in, just 10 suggestions, but which don't yet have a political vehicle to carry them through. Like, Rufo's done incredible work, and I don't, I don't, I don't doubt that for one second, but you know, Rufo allied to DeSantis, and to DeSantis' supermajority in Florida is deadly. If we could have something like that, a political vehicle for carrying through a lot of that stuff, that would be excellent. But for the time being, we are in, in a position of just having to, to talk about it and not really being able to get much done because the Conservative Party, as I say, since 2017, has expanded the DEI bureaucracy in this country deliberately through active policy. Yeah, I don't disagree with that, but I think that you'd be better off having legislation that goes nowhere than not even trying to write it. And it's just, it's just the mentality aspect of it where it doesn't seem to be happening here. But the, the point I'm trying to get to is that I think there's a real potential in Britain over the next few years to build up a more kind of cohesive and competent conservative ecosystem. I think in a way that America is, is bigger and people are more spread out, but London, despite everybody being here, you know, everybody can mm -hmm. show up at the pub within like two hours if they want to, no matter where in the city they're mm -hmm. at, um, 
people here are very fragmented and they're very off on their own. Mm -hmm. And there isn't like a force, there isn't even like a daily wire type force to really bring people together mm -hmm. in a serious way. Mm -hmm. Do you think this is something that could be addressed? Well, uh, obviously we're all trying in our, you know, in, in our different ways. In some ways, I mean, without wishing to sort of be grasping at straws, I mean, five years ago, we'd never have thought we had a, we would have a GB News, for example, mm -hmm. right? I think, I think that obviously there's always, you know, room for us all to kind of get together. I mean, I've thought about this and discussed it actually with the team here a lot, you know, we should actually form a kind of, you know, basically alliance of people. Um, but the fact is, so many people don't seem to want to do it. Mm. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, I, I'm always, my door is always open, you know, uh, to mm. people. But um, I think in some ways you put a finger on it there, actually, when it comes to the ecosystem, as you put it, in America, is allied to, you know, serious people that are standing. Mm. And there's also a Republican Party, which is kind of conservative. I mean, whatever, you know, they might be pro-Trump or anti-Trump or whatever. It's, but, but it's also really important, uh, just a quick in, in, interruption, it's also really important to point out in the case of the Republican Party that the whole process for electing leaders mm -hmm. is much more friendly to the base than it is in this country where mm -hmm. MPs, the, the wretched conservative MPs, have to whittle it down to two and then they trust that you can be put them, those two to the yeah, plebs. Whereas in the Republican Party, people play to the base from the very, from the offset, so you start getting genuinely very conservative candidates rising to the top in yeah. a way that you don't get here. Yeah, we shouldn't forget that the Republican Party was hijacked against their will by Trump. Exactly, that yeah. couldn't happen to the Conservative Party, or it would be very difficult. Mm. No, no, but I mean, yeah, but, but basically there is a political outlet. This is so crucial. I mean, you know, I think I've already alluded to it, but people have got to have something to vote for. Mm. Um, this is something that preoccupies me all the time these days. I mean, you know, having uh, channels that people can watch fantastic and writing and suggesting and, 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 and making speeches, all very important, but ultimately you, you've got to say, well, you know, this has got to go, this can't be a dead shark, you know, it's got mm. to carry on. Mm. And so therefore, what do you do about that? And, you know, for example, guys like you, you know, in your 20s or still in your 20s? I'm still in my 20s. Still in your 20s. Um, seriously, you should actually be able to be in a position where you're looking to see how you can be involved in a party, hmm. for example. I mean, I think it's, you know, the one thing I think about every single day, what should we do about this? You know, should we become a political party? Oh, hmm. no, because they don't fragment it even more. Yeah. For example. Hmm. But you've already, you've already said before, I think you've said in private conversations with us before that um, you, you, the, the journey of the NCF itself has been quite interesting over the mm -hmm. last 15 years and that we started off as a, as a sort of think tank producing mm -hmm. reports and now you say we've become much more of a movement. Mm -hmm. like, given that fact, which I think is unquestionably true, the fact that we're putting together 10, a, a sort of ten, 10 things which we... It's our local groups. That's the thing. Okay, that's just really, no, that's what's done it. Is that basically we <coughs> have these local groups now. We've set up nine this... Mm nine this year you're getting like 40 50 people along trust me you might think that that's small but when it comes to anything to do with politics on a wet tuesday evening that's pretty good <laughs> mm. and um i've been yes. just so um you know encouraged humbled actually by people's you know wanting to get involved yes and so the aim is next year to have many many more of these mm -hmm. right around the country and uh, so that that has made it sort of something else. Mm. We still have to do this. You have to have authority. Sure. You, you do books and things like that. But I mean, I think um, 
you know, and again, it's not something that you would have a huge amount of sympathy for, maybe because you know you're you're younger. But older people, particularly, sort of feel, what the hell is going on? Am I the only one who feels that uh, you know uh, that I'm going insane? You know, mm. that, you know, and you have to say, no, you're not, and not just that, but you are in the majority. So come along and meet people. Absolutely. Like now, wh what you do with that, you know, apart from actually providing it as it stands is up for discussion. I mean, in the sense that, you know, what, do you want to move people towards a certain political way or what, or do mm. you do it yourself? Uh, these are questions that are thinking about all the time. Um, but there's got to be something. I mean, I'm, I'm more hopeful now than maybe I would have been about a year ago. In some ways, for me, I think this answers one of your questions. If Nigel Farage uh, you know, came back and in plain sight somehow managed to get his hands on the Tory party, you know, and all this, for years people are saying, infiltrate the Tory party, that's the only way, you know, mm. you sort of think, when are you going to give up this idea? It's <laughs> just <laughs> never, ever happening, you know. However, if he did it in plain sight, virtually on television, live, Yes. Um, then, um, then you've got something. Yeah, you can't infiltrate, but maybe you can pull off a coup. Well, exactly. Yeah. It might be so brought to its knees. Exactly. Hope, uh, which is what I want to happen. I want it to be eviscerated. Um, if, if that happened, uh, the next election, and you, you know, there's a rump left. So Nigel could come in. On the topic of things Peter Hitchens has been right about. Yeah. When we had him on the show, he and I almost got into a row because he said my least favorite thing that I hear in Britain all the time, which is that young people should leave, which I think is just giving up. And, and when I asked mm. him, I said, and go where? He said, I don't care, mm. wherever you like. I, I think that's just a non-answer. And you know, that's part of a shtick. But what do you think, uh, just kind of a two-parter, A, do you think that young people should not only stick around, but also young people who are looking to get out of other countries like I did, mm. coming from, from Canada and America, um, should they be interested in coming to Britain? And two, what do you think that, you know, kind of conservatism in general, but also this sort of semi-dissident right-wing ecosystem that we're in has to offer young people? Uh, well, you're in it, so it must be providing you with something. Yeah, but there's like 20 of us. Right. Yeah. No, come on, there's more than that, surely. I mean, you know, I mean, I think, you know, what is it offering? I mean, it's basically um, a way to forge your ideas and, you know... Um, the, thrill of trans the thrill of transgression in, yes. our, in our current climate as well. I think, I think it's particularly hard for, uh, you know, for younger people. Um, I, I certainly think people, young people shouldn't leave Britain. Whilst I understand why Peter has come to that conclusion. He always has held that view. Mm. He calls himself Britain's obituaries. And um, fair enough. And I think that it's, sometimes it's very hard to actually deny the logic of all of his points, you know. But I remember once getting something optimistic out of Peter, who I really like, actually. He's been a great friend to this channel. Um, I sort of said, would it be any different to you um, you know, the future, if it were just England, if it weren't Scotland. And he said, oh, well, now you're talking about something different. Hmm. And I thought, my goodness, is that optimism? <laughs> you know, I mean, in the sense that, you know, if it were not, if it were just England, you're dealing with something else, an inbuilt conservative majority still, all of that thing, all of that sort of thing. Um, so he can be sort of, he can have chinks of uh, optimism about the future. I wouldn't want, Young people to leave. I, um, 
you know, having said that, I left myself and went and lived somewhere else. But when you, I was in my thirties, but not so. not out of despair though for or, the current state of the country, or was it? You would be surprised. Oh, really? Yes, actually. <laughs> not, well, no, not despair. Despair in at the weather. No, not in despair. Not in despair, in the way that people face now. Yes. Because you know, in the nineties, it was actually looking back a kind of kind of halcyon time in <laughs> some way. But it's certainly what I couldn't bear was the something far more specific, which was the culture of irony, which then mm. gripped everything. Mm. I hated it. You know, everything, everything was at a distance. Everything was smart, Alec. Mm. I'm talking about the late, you know, and then Blair, and, and you were in the entertainment world as well, weren't you? In the well, arts yes, world. Well, yes, it was. It was all. So that must yes. have been particularly pronounced there. Yes. yes, it was. It was, and maybe that was a that made a difference, <laughs> you know. But also at the same time, there was Blair. It felt quite alien. I remember. When, when Blair was elected in 97, it sort of felt, I think Matthew Paris, who's not a reliable witness, <laughs> you look at his column, but I mean, sometimes he comes up with good things. And he, I remember him saying very clearly that there's felt something alien about the people who were taking the reins of power. Mm. And you sort of really did feel this was something, and I sort of didn't like the feel of it. Mm. I didn't like, there was a kind of assault going on already on you know, the forces of conservatism, yes. things like, and I just thought, you know, um, I wasn't particularly politically um, uh, conscientious at that time. I have been before, and I, but I wasn't. I was far more interested in my TV career, and it was, wasn't until 9-11 that it came zooming back, really. But, but I mean, essentially, um, yeah, uh, I left out of disliking the way things work. Oh. Yeah. Well, sp speaking of smart Alex, what do you make of the kind of the rise of what we might call like the new right? I'm thinking of people, some of whom we've had on this channel, like Alex Kashuda or Mary Harrington, folks like that, or also more anonymous people like uh, like Kunle Drupka or Raw Egg Nationalist, who has even appeared on shows like Tucker Carlson. Yeah. What do you make of this whole new phenomenon? Um, is this a kind of movement, or are they just sort of new people writing? It's kind of both. It's, it's a little right. bit amorphous at the moment. I suppose you're talking about people who, uh, who exist out in a very self-conscious way outside of the conservative mainstream and mm. think that rather than, I suppose that if you had to sum it up in one word what they're about, which distinguishes them from, I don't know, people in the Tory party, is that th th there's, a, there's, a, there's a sort of Machiavellian strain which, which, which runs through much of their writing, the sense that, you know, politics is about winning and we shouldn't get too sentimental about you know, procedure. Yeah, all very the, few all of them would consider themselves to be liberals, like capital L liberals right. in that way. Well, you mentioned Mary Harrington. Yeah, they've mm. all been on the channel, most of these mm. people, mm. haven't they? Well, she's, she is an outright reactionary feminist. Mm. This is like pure mm. reactionaryism. But she was a lefty, wasn't she? Yes. Once upon a time. Yes. 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 Um, well, I think they're great. I mean, what, what you know, they'll <laughs> hey, be happy you, to hear that. No, no, I think, I mean, they're fine. I think they're, they're, they're great. Um, I think it keeps coming back to the point that we started out on. I mean, you know, you can only go so far with certain things. So, you know, it's, it's a great piece here and we've got a you know, great book coming out. Someone's got a book, you know. I've had so many people who've got, had groundbreaking books on mm. and then they just, they're just gone after a while. I mean, eventually it's got to be action. Mm. So I think we're all agreed it's a question of how. Yes. But I think there's got to be, somehow be action. I think that a lot of them, the ones that were on the left, um, you know, going, well, actually, it's nothing new about this. Claire Fox's people were all on the left, remember? Uh, very much so, Revolutionary Communist Party. Um, 
And they were at Kent when I was at Kent. Uh, yeah. they, they, that was their nucleus. Frank Brady <laughs> yes. was professor of sociology at Kent. Yes. You know, and they all came out. Um, and they've all become screaming, headbanging right wingers. Yes. Uh, no, they, no. <laughs> they, 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 they had their hate. But, but the thing is, you, I, I do, when I when some of these people that, uh, you know, I won't, there's no point in naming. There's one guy, for example, I've had on who again was left and now is, God, Jesus, like a born again monarchist, pope, pope papist, you know, all, <laughs> all the rest of it. Um, and uh, you sort of uh, think, well, you know, okay, great, bully for you. Please don't expect me to be grateful. Hmm. Mm. I mean, you know, the, you get these people who do these things um, on a much more superficial level. You know, Trevor Phillips, you know, saying, mm. oh, the worst day's work I ever did was coming up with the term Islamophobia, or, or at least he said he claimed to have popularized it. Mm. Um, um, now I think it's a terrible and everything. And I sort of think, you know, you're being, or, or David Goodhart's another one, you're being sort of treated as though you are really courageous people. You made our lives a misery for years, <laughs> mm. you know? Yeah. And uh, frankly, you would get up in the morning working out ways in which you could have a go at conservatives. So just because you're late to the table, you know, also I think it shows a kind of slow intellect actually. <laughs> I'm sure this is no, true. No no, 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 but I mean, you could no, say that. No, it's, it, it's, uh, it's, 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 it is true, and there is a sense in which they, I don't know what you want to call them, sort of apostate leftist or left-wing apostates. Yeah, like, they sort of tend to they tend to behave as though they've got the, a particular the real cruelty and double standard of that. Is it's like if you're a sort of uh, left-wing apostate and you know that you can go onto into the conservative media ecosystem. Like yeah. immediately, it's like there's. I mean, there's You'll a lot. Rewarded. of There's yeah. a lot of people who burn out of careers, and basically the only thing left that they've got to become is a conservative commentator, and the the right just throws their arms wide open. You know, mm. I'm all for including yeah. people, but it's like begging for scraps. Whereas yeah. I have a funny feeling that me getting into the Guardian is probably not going to happen at any point no. in my life. Yes, it's always the other way, isn't it? If you notice, yes. it's always that way. It's always people. I mean, I know I'm segued from from what you asked, but many of the people you have mentioned were kind of on the uh, on the uh, left. You know, the writers. Mary was, wasn't she? But also um, either that or libertarian, maybe. Mm -hmm. or, you know, libertarian. Yes. You just suddenly think, well, actually, maybe we do need a few boundaries. <laughs> and you start saying, oh, really? Yes, you know. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, the, 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 it, but I don't know. It's. Um what, what were you saying just earlier? Well, I guess I was saying the um, that would be true, I think, for a lot of the, the more face-forward or uh, people that I mentioned. But there's a lot of this ecosystem, too, which is also anonymous, that we, that we talk about a lot here, kind of behind the scenes. Mm. And what do you make of the fact that some of the, like, the smartest people kind of you know, chiming into the cultural discourse on the conservative side can't show their face? Uh, I think that's actually a failure of every other face or conservative like us, we should be able to give them the security to do so. so that, but they, they can show their face if they choose to, can't they? I'm sure they could, but they'd lose their job or lose, you know, high amounts of social standing, mm -hmm. get kicked out in the street. I mean, I, I respect, if people want to be anonymous, then for the sake of anonymity, I think I that's find totally it hard, respectable. Yes, I find it hard to take as seriously people who are anonymous. Hmm. It's just simple, simple as that. I mean, in the sense, you know, uh, if you're going to say, you know, put your, put your name to, hmm. to your statements. I mean, when you say they're going to lose a job, a job, I mean, things are tough 
in office it is. I mean, we, we could all be in danger, couldn't we? I mean, if, you know, in a way, can you sort of really say what is special about them? Is it because what they're saying is so outlandish? It, it might what is be, it? No, well, it, it could be that, but, but more often I think it's the case, having spoken to some of these people, that, uh, that we're, quite we're extremely lucky in the sense that we, I mean, I'm at the European Conservative and the New Culture Forum, um, in, in, unless I really go crazy, I'm, I'm pretty uncancellable within those two mm, domains. Mm, yeah. Whereas these people might work in the private sector, might, mm. they might work in IT or something, and they, they, they won't be as, uh, you know, their bosses won't be anywhere near as sparing as you would if I'm Oh, no, up. no, no, but that's, that's the case anyway now mm. about really kind of mainstream views. Mm. I'm just wondering what mm. you're getting at. I mean, whether you mean uh, people who are advocating a completely different sort of you know, uh, set of ideas to what you might call what the ones that we talk about. What? No, I wouldn't say they're actually advocating any. It's not substantially different at all. But it it is a kind of intellectual space that has arisen outside of the mm. mainstream. Mm. And I actually think that a reason that America has been very effective in fighting back against these things is they have adopted some of the Machiavellian tactics that a lot of these people expose right. or espouse. Okay, espouse, yeah. yeah. Such as to give me an example. Um, well, if you look at Chris Rufo trying to get yeah. the president of Harvard fired just mm -hmm. yesterday and today, mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, that's hard to imagine anybody doing it in Britain. Yes. And though it doesn't seem to have worked, just the fact that he would take a swing like that. Mm -hmm. Well, the nearest we've had actually was actually Nigel and Nat West Bank. Yes. That's true. Yeah. Yes. Which, in fact, when it happened, which it seemed so local, mm. but when it happened, you thought, you know, you... You really felt, you know, a little bit like the boy in, putting his finger in the dam. You sort of thought, my God, maybe there's a way in there, yeah, actually. Yeah. If he you took can a take swing at the head of ITV people. today. Sorry? He took it, Nigel, no, yeah. I, absolutely. Kevin, Li uh, yes. Kevin Ligo is the name of the guy. Uh, it's in his gift to do that sort of thing. Well, no, but it, it's a classic thing. I think from what Nigel was saying, and it, and it is the same thing as you're talking about, actually. Uh, th this guy made some rude gesture Kevin Lyon, about Nigel mm. at some award ceremony or something, when, he, when he, his name come up, when it was about, uh, what's it, um, uh, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. Yeah. Apparently he made a wanker sign or something like that. You know? And of course, and then it's emerging, I think, or rather Nigel's gonna look into it, that they were stitching him up or trying to stitch mm. him up and it hasn't worked out that way. Because yes. uh, he's come out, you know, people seem to like him and all the rest of it. We'll have to wait and see what, what difference it makes. Uh, to him in the long run, but essentially, when they made this gesture, or when this guy made this gesture, you know, he's also making a gesture about all the people who like Nigel, mm. and actually, people who might have voted for Brexit, actually. Mm. And so, yes, one would love to see those people taken down. If you were asked, would you go on? I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here. No, probably not. No, <laughs> no, no, no. We had this. We, I asked you guys on Newspeak actually. Brave said he would. Um, oh my God, I would love to see that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd I love to see him get into an argument with Nella. <laughs> probably, probably not. I mean, would you? No, definitely not. Would you, uh, Absolutely. You would? Yeah. yeah. What, you mean for a good paycheck or just anyway? Uh, just like, for the hell of it. Just for the yeah. hell of it. No, yes. amount, no amount of money. What? No. no. I, I don't know. It's one of those things. It's Why not? Just, it's just I would feel like a bit of a sellout. No. Oh. I would. I would. I, I just, I, it's, it's, not my, it's not my kind of thing, really. I don't care about the cameras, I just want to do all the challenges. Look fun. Maybe not the eating ones. I watched the final on Sunday um, 
I'd never seen it all the way through. I've only seen clips. Yeah. And I watched the final, and um, it all seemed... A lot of it seemed quite set up to me. I mean, you know, yeah. naive. You know when this guy had all the stuff crawling all over him, for example, yeah. or one of the contestants, and you sort of think, look, or when they have snakes, of course they're going to make sure these snakes are not, you know, Poisonous lethal, or yeah. you know, for God's sake. God. <laughs> you know, so you sort of think, well, where, where is actually, where is the real danger? It, it's the unpleasantness of mm. having to eat this disgusting stuff, isn't it, more than anything? Yes, no, I, yeah, it's, it certainly wouldn't be my, my sort of thing. But, yeah. they, but with, respect to, with respect, talking about, in connection with Nigel Farage, um, he, he, he is one of those people who does understand that, that, the importance of like, not, not being Machiavellian for, in politics for the sake of being Machiavellian, but th th that basic intuition that if a standard is only being abided by, by one side of the political spectrum, mm -hmm. then it's not actually a, a shared standard at mm -hmm. all. It's not a standard in any meaningful sense. It's, it's an immobilizer of one half of the country. Well, it's a self-imposed handicap, yeah, actually. Effectively, yeah, effectively, yes. Um, and breaking out of that sort of thing is, uh, is, is, I mean, Johnson's been capable of it at certain times when being willing to uh, prorogue Parliament and all those sorts of things. But, but, but generally, there is this sense on the right of yeah. politics that we need to play by the rules. And so when, you, when you've got the left in, in charge of all the institutions which basically make the rules, it, it, you know, you, 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 all conservatism can do at best is be progressivism but driven at the speed limit. Yeah. Yes. In fact, uh, the new president of Argentina, Have you yes, exactly. yeah, yeah. he made a beautiful <laughs> point, you know, very lucidly when he was on Tucker Carlson, I think it was. Mm. And he said, you've got to have a level playing field, at least have a level playing field. Mm -hmm. The only way we can do that is to take their money away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's the truth. Yeah. Um, it's what you're talking about, institutions, it's people who basically are on public money. Yes. Right. Uh, we're not talking about woke companies here, but that's no. a whole different uh, 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 thing they have going on. When it comes to public institutions, all these people who make the rules, uh, you can just simply take mm. their money away. That's easier, far easier uh, done than many people think. I mean, in our book, I have to... Show it again, again. brandish it again. Mm. If you're not going to, I have it. Um, in our book, we talk about just taking public money away from people where, you know, basically ideology has overtaken the point of the organization, you know, and it's no longer really, um, you know, performing its remit. Well, it, Take it, the money away. It reaches its apex of absurdity where you have a conservative government which is basically writing checks for charities which then campaign against the government, take the government to court on certain mm. certain imp important policies which they're trying to, you know, well, to, 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 trying to implement. Because all you're doing then is the... the, 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 the the people in political office are subsidising the politics of their opponents. Yeah. Which, and they, 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 it's almost impossible to envision a situation in which the, the, Tony Blair was hamstrung because he was, his government was funding a charity which was anti-Blair. Like it's almost, you, you can't I imagine know, that exactly. sort of thing happening. Or take our, our institutions, the uh, uh, British Library a few years ago decided to decolonise its collection. Yes. Right? Um, the British Library, I would call that the spine of our culture, actually. Mm. They wanted to decolonize and um, decided to decolonize. And so you say, right, well, how much money do you get from, from the government? 90 million, apparently, annually. Take it away. And the thing is, is that people say, how, as a conservative, can you possibly yeah. say? Uh, the British Library, mm -hmm. for goodness sake. I mean, I, but the thing is, is that I do feel that. I think is, 
these things I glory in uh, preserving, and mm. I think we do too. You sort of think, well, no, I'm sorry, you have to fight fire with fire. It, they're in the wrong hands. Mm. They're mm. not in the hands of people who care about literary heritage or history or anything. You know, they're in the hands of people who want, who basically think we're rubbish and want to somehow, you know, help the situation along to our oblivion. Yes. So mm. you don't give, you don't pay like the license fees, same thing, for goodness sake. You know, I gave up, I don't have a TV. Um, I gave up paying two, three years ago during the first lockdown. Mm. And um, why give your money to people who think you're terrible? Yes. Mm. Yeah, you know? I mean, this is what I said to Steve Edgington. I was like, why don't you just turn off the immigration portal website? The one that yeah. I had used to get in the country. Like, yeah. it's like, we don't know how to stop the flow. Mm. Just turn the applications off. Speaking on COVID, though, I would just wonder, what do you make of the, now that these the hearings or whatever, with <coughs> Boris and all the rest of them are going on, what do you make of the legacy of COVID in this, in this country? And do you uh, think it's going to have a continuing lasting effect? I'm starting to see more people in masks. Oh, yes. No, I, I see. I tell, when I see people in masks now, I did this morning, for example. I stare at them. Yes, I sort of think mental, mentally ill. <laughs> No, but I do. I sort of think, I'm sorry, but I sort of think you must have mental issues mm, yeah. if you're wearing a mask. Yeah. Um, there was a survey that came out uh, yesterday uh, showing the millennials. You're not millennials, are you? Not just. Not quite. No, I'm a zillennial. I'm right on the cusp. Oh, right. really? I'm 98. Okay, millennials in this country uh, are the highest group when it comes to favouring uh, the reintroduction of measures, COVID yeah, measures. Yeah. Um, between, I believe, 24 and 45. Gosh. Right? Mm. Um, essentially, uh, they went to all the uh, mask wearing, distancing, even going out only when you absolutely have to to get food. And apparently, the millennial, you know, they're the opposite of the greatest generation, I'm afraid. <laughs> they they uh, are in favor of those kind of um, rules. In answer to your question, I found it the most profoundly depressing time. Mm. Uh, in fact, I think I um, underestimated at the time how depressing I found it, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Because uh, I sort of went through it. I didn't get ill or anything. I, I was fine. I kept on going and all of that. But then um, it sort of, people say, oh, it changes. The terrible thing is maybe it just exposed I think change. that's true. I think that's mm. absolutely right. And even though you I know? don't agree with him to... It, it, uh, in any sense at all, Neil Ferguson, the guy behind the infamous Imperial College report, was right when he said, you know, uh, this was happening in China. We saw how heavy handed the Chinese were in dealing with this. Uh, initially, we thought, well, of course, that's never going to fly in Britain. But then we saw it did work mm. in Italy. Yeah, yeah. And then we saw it worked here. And all of a sudden we realized it was feasible. Mm. That there was an expectation, even on the part of the people who favored these measures, that they would never be tolerated by freedom-loving population. Like, what, I, think what it, I think what it exposed is how like, the, the romantic ideas about England being a, you know, a, a, a country of you know, liberty at all costs and all this sort of thing. Yes. Like, it was com com completely exposed and like, the intolerant conformism uh, of, of the population became incredibly apparent. People calling people COVID-idiots, anyone who was trying to question the narrative was, was completely marginalized. You're going to kill grandmother, all this sort of, it was an incredibly nasty period oh, of it, it was awful. I mean, mm. I can't remember a worse time, actually. Mm. That includes the aftermath of Brexit as well. And I think that what it was, yes, I remember talking to Rod Little 
about this uh, when we were uh, when he did our lecture, you mm. know, Smith's lecture, and I said, you know, what happened to that kind of truculent? I know, you know, exactly. I've got my rights, you know, mm. Englishman. Yes. You know, and uh, he said, well, but, you know, yes, sure, about 1953, <laughs> <Yeah>. late summer, <laughs> 1953. I forget yeah. the exact numbers, um, yes. but I believe it was it's something like 63 percent or something of young people now said that they they favor a kind of like strongman authoritarian leader. Now with young people, this is like somebody on the left, of course, mm -hmm. you know, this wouldn't yeah. be like some big, you know, reactionary monarchist coming in. Yeah. But what do you make of what we might call like the death of again, like capital L liberalism? Because it doesn't mm -hmm. seem to me that any of the popular current trends on both the left or the right are really in favor of like democracy, free speech, and all those, they, you know, end of history not. liberal values. I think, I don't think they are. I mean, the woke, uh, People clearly aren't. No, no, but apparently the young people, and, and this is uh, by uh, surveys, I think mm -hmm. Matthew Goodwin's done, but also even just in everyday life, anecdotally, um, they think that uh, be causing offence is far greater um, importance, i.e. not causing offence, than free speech. Mm. And they, yeah, I remember having a discussion with some young neighbours during COVID, actually, mm -hmm. you know, when that terrible, oh god, that terrible moment during that thing, when suddenly we had the Black Lives Matter and the statues coming down mm -hmm. and all of this, and then it really did think, what is happening? Um, but I had this conversation, and, and with these people, and they were much younger than me, and they said, well, of course, you know, you shouldn't be offensive. I said, well, wait a minute, what, what about? Is it, if you, I said, do you think people should lose their jobs for something that they might say or whatever? And he, and this guy said, well, yeah. Mm. Mm. And the girl said, well, yeah. And, and I said, well, wait a minute. And then we went on further to, you know, what about like in the arts? You know, because they, they fancied themselves as, um, they had a suspicion that they were intellectuals. Um, and I sort of said, well, for example, you know, what about people who have, you know, disagreeable views who are great artists and things? What do you do there? Do you cancel them too? Mm. Probably, yes. Uh, so, well, you know, for example, Wagner, um, you know, he was an anti-Semite, you know, but do you not want him on Radio 3 anymore? And they said, oh, yeah, no, no, we don't. Yes. Mm. Now, you might say, God, you mix with some really dumb people. But <laughs> I mean, I'm not being funny. Sort of it, it, it is far, it is Philistine. Yes. Um, it is born of a complete lack of education, of a really thorough sort. You can have those views if you don't have any hinterland. Mm. That's what I think is happening. And it's also it's also a sign that they put what they regard as their their sort of account of justice, like social justice and their sublime vision for this country. They put the pursuit of that at all costs above uh, you know, freedom. Um, uh, and it, 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 so there's a sort of puritanical cleansing mm. obsession that's going on, this belief that we need to cleanse our society, we need to cure our society. Our society is fundamentally rotten, racism is woven into its DNA, sexism is woven into its DNA, homophobia is woven into its DNA. And because, these, 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 for example, like these things aren't just views held by certain people, they are structural, they are systemic, and therefore there needs to be a wholesale curative transformation. And like if free speech gets in the way of that urgent moral emergency, then of course it's going to get in the way. And also they think that uh, free speech is just a right-wing thing. Yes. 
They think they think that yeah. they, they, well, they, free speech is only ever a minority benefit, and mm. the right being the minority now, at least culturally in the conversation, yes. it benefits it, us. Yeah. It, but it used to be the, the the classical liberal argument that you would get in favor of free speech in the nineteenth century was that the individual is the ultimate minority, and that's why free speech is important. But once that belief in the value of in the, of the individual has declined, as it as it evidently has, or it's it's regarded as actually a smokescreen for the perpetuation of racial interests, white interests, or whatever, all the guff mm. you get, the woke guff you get around it. Like, it, because individualism has lost currency as, a, as an ideal in this country, then you, can't, can, you can no longer make that argument that, well, no, free speech is a good thing because it defends you, because you're an individual, and, and the individual is the ultimate minority. Every, everything's conceived in terms of this identity group, that identity group, and, that, and once you do that, you can no longer make that classical liberal argument in favor mm. of free speech. It's always, how does free speech affect the black community, or how does free speech affect the white community? It's sort of, it's a, it's a value over which is, which is, has power imbued into it. Yes, but also just, just worth remembering, as we said before, that they don't even really believe any of this really is real. It's all being used simply uh, uh, politically. Yes, they don't, they don't really believe that people are, the black community is offended, or the gay community is offended. They don't really believe it. You, you will see, you know, younger people now, for example, you know, just look at Twitter and they'll say, I really feel unsafe now. And you sort of think, no, you don't. You don't. You really don't. You, you're actually not doing a very good job of acting it either. You know, it's all sort of phony. But what it's, what's behind it is certainly not phony and it's very important. Well, let me just say, before we, before we finish up, you're talk, talking about our, our locals initiative and obviously that's very important. But like coming back to the book before we, yeah. before we close... Like the, these ten pledges are basically are the NCF's national effort. Yes. Given that you now think of us as a movement, like what do you, what, what what do you what 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 events and what trends do you hope that this book can perhaps help set in motion over the course of say the next five years right. in, in British politics? Well, I mean, I'd love to, love to see the, um, the 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 pledges that we have in here taken up by either one of the more successful smaller parties, or indeed by a new party that might set up, mm. who knows, right? Um, I would like to see them integrated into, mm. into their manifesto. I think that that's actually going right back to what a think tank does in, in a way, mm. isn't it? Indeed. Um, also, um, you know, I would like what we do here and what you do and everything to get wider and wider, I mean, mm. and to get bigger and bigger. I mean, you know, it's got to keep carrying on. Um, but I think ultimately, um, I would love to see people who follow us, our locals, actually get politically active in some way. And I also include you, you guys. You should be politically active. I mean, you are, but you should be electorally, I think. I would love to see you, in, you know, standing for something. Mm -hmm. no, I mean, I'm going to work on my permanent residency first. Well, 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 once you've done that, but can you, you know, seriously, can yeah. you imagine, actually, it is the most, it is, it's the most wonderful thing to try and to put into action. I know that you do that anyway, but sure. actually it's got to be something electoral. But um, the 10 pledges, uh, can I read them out briefly? Please do. Yeah, and it's available on Amazon, by the way. Amazon. Um, here we go. Very simple. And... Um, just a bit before that, isn't it? Yes. Um, bit earlier, bit earlier. Um, there we go. Yes. There we go. There must be a permanent end to mass immigration. The UK must withdraw from the European Convention of Human Rights. The Equality Act of 2010 must be abolished. 
The thorough, balanced history of Britain and its achievements must be taught to every pupil in every school, 16. It must be stated unequivocally that there is no blasphemy law in this country. The concepts in law of hate and harmful speech must be scrapped. There must be a complete ban on the teaching, as though it were fact, of critical race theory, gender ideology and other associated ideologies in schools. There must be a ban on compulsory attendance at diversity, equity and inclusion courses and any associated ideologically driven schemes. All institutions and quangos, including pub publicly funded broadcasters, which stray from their core remit, must be challenged and lose their public funding. And similarly, those bodies which, instead of promoting Britain and caring for its history and heritage, actually undermine it should be replaced with another that does or all public funding will be withdrawn. So I think that we've really covered in our discussion Indeed. many of the points mm. there. And hopefully that can be the nucleus for a, restora yes. a restoration of sorts in this country. Uh, Peter Whittle, thank you so much for joining us you, on the, on the show you, that you yourself produce. Um, <laughs> it's been a real privilege to have you in any case. Uh, Evan, Keep it in the family. We shall indeed, yes. Evan, thanks as ever. You've been watching the programmes. Make sure to like, subscribe, leave a comment if you wish, and we shall see you on the next one. Hello. If you're enjoying the New Culture Forum channel and you believe in our mission, may I invite you to join our membership scheme at the link below or on our website, newcultureforum.org.uk. Our work is more important now than ever, and we have great plans ahead for the future, but we can't do it without your support. From as little as £3 per month, you can help ensure that we continue on our mission. As a member, you'll receive a range of benefits, including access to exclusive content, invitations to our private events, including here at our studios, free copies of our books, and much, much more, including, of course, our famous NCF mug. If you aren't able to become a member, then please help us by clicking this button and subscribing to our channel. It's completely free. Just remember, to also click the bell icon so that you can get notifications when we post new videos. Thank you.